Well, I am a plant propagator. In fact, I wanted to wear like a white uh, science lab coat today just to fully step into the role. <laughs> but the truth is I'm actually quite a novice. And in fact, um, much of my motivation in, in, the, plant, in the plant propagating, the, the plant multiplying is probably actually out of my frugal nature because the idea that I can buy one plant <laughs> and eventually make many plants is something that is quite uh, appealing to me. And so it's pretty simple, actually. You just, you know, you take a, a pair of scissors and you clip part of a plant. It actually does matter what part of the plant that you, you clip and wear, and, but I'm gonna let you Google that to figure it out. And then you stick it in water and you wait over time for roots to grow. You can see that they have here. And then you actually can, can plant it. So this full pothos, I actually propagated myself all these different pieces from an earlier, an earlier plant. And, and you know, if you stop and think about it for a moment, it's, it's actually kind of funny, the idea of plants in our home or all these things. And, and uh, I was listening, actually, a comedian did, did a bit on this recently. And I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Where he was saying he'd moved into an apartment recently and he was trying to make it cozy. And, and everything that everyone told him for how to make it cozy had to do with bringing what was outside in, into the inside. So he said, first, you know, everyone's like, you got to get some plants. You got to bring some plants inside. He's like, okay, yeah. So I'll go and get what's outside and I'll bring it inside, and then they were like, yeah, and you gotta make sure you have lots of natural light, lots of natural light, open up your windows, let all the light from the outside into the inside. And I was laughing because at the time, um, this was just a couple weeks ago, our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, was her birthday, and the, one of the number one things on her list is she wanted this sunset lamp. So you know the like, most beautiful moment of watching a sunset outside. She wanted a lamp so she could do that inside in her room. I have to think it has something to do with our draw towards a creation, our draw towards, towards things that, that grow, that have life, things that are flourishing. And that's what this season is, is about, what this series is about. It's actually quite a beautiful arc that we've been on since the beginning of the year because we started with Pastor Mark um, and then Pastor Joel leading us through Ezekiel 47 and our prayer that, that just like that vision, that there would be streams of water that would start as a trickle and it would turn into a river of life flowing out from us that, and that wherever it would go, life would spring up, right? Trees would spring up, there would be life abounding. And that's a prayer that we have over this house this year, that there would be a, a river of revival, a river of life flowing out. Yeah. And then last week, Pastor Mark leading us in Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like the palm tree they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord and they will flourish in the courts of our God. So we're asking for life, Lord, for flourishing life. And this series is about an examination, an examination of, of the things that bring life. And we're gonna talk about physical flourishing and spiritual, emotional, vocational. But today we're gonna talk about relational flourishing we're gonna examine our own relational flourishing, our, our friendships, our family relationships, our marriages. The definition of flourish, flourish means to grow or develop in a healthy or a vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. So I mentioned, of course, just when you do that clipping and you, and you, and you put it in, in water, that a very important component is to have access to the light. 
So I said a, a, a favorable component, important component is access to the light, lots and lots of light. And so that's where we're going to end today. But, but to start just thinking about favorable environment, what are the other components? And for those of us that live here in this area, um, you know, what we're being told is that this isn't really a favorable environment to relationships. So if you follow the, no, the news, you would see that, that Washington, D.C. was just recently rated as the number one loneliest city in all of America. And number three was Alexandria, Virginia. So if you think you live across the water and you escaped it, like we're all in this together. <laughs> Rates of loneliness have doubled nationally since the 1980s. More than 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely. Doctors are calling it an epidemic of loneliness. And long friendships or rooted friendships, we see those roots have to grow. They, they, they um, you know, perhaps in DC they're hard because maybe the transient nature of this area or maybe just how um, career driven or maybe how priorities, how, how priorities um, are here. But, for Joel and I, we do have to say we are so rich relationally. And as we just kind of reflect on that, and, and some of it has to do with time and, and time in a, in a, in a place, um, but we're so grateful we've been able to do ministry alongside of some of the same people for a really long time, like Chris and Kat and Pastor Heather and Ryan and Mark and Laura, some really for decades even. We have really dear friends who show up for us in really important ways, people like Jim and Christy Tanyas, or JD and Melissa Schmidt, who just communicate, like, we're with you, we wanna walk with you. You know, Joel and I pastored at our Balsan location for, for many years, and, and there's a crew from that time that has been so faithful to us relationally. And I laugh when I think back because we were not only, you know, at least me, so early in, in ministry, but we were newlyweds. And so um, they were just so faithful to just invest in us and to, to spur us on and cheer us on and to believe in the work that we we're doing. And of course, there's so many in this house who've invested so relationally into our children and walked with them for such, you know, important seasons, each of them. And so we are really rich relationally. But there is actually one group um, here in the city that, that and, and maybe it's just because we all met early on when we were just, you know, really young adults here, moving here. And so we've seen each other through a lot of different um, seasons. But I've been thinking about them a lot lately because we're kind of in an important um, time in, in that friendship. And, and so most of us met when we were still, you know, even single, young professionals perhaps, and then um, we've seen each other get married and start families. And, and oddly enough, a lot of different directions, vocationally and relationally. And, and um, for a time, a number of us even lived within a few blocks of one another. And so um, that's a gift maybe DC offers. It's kind of like a you know, continuation of college where your friends are like down the street. So we would call them and be like, hey, can you meet at the corner? We're gonna let our kids play in the playground after dinner. We would share meals or... Then a few years ago, we got this like, waited out this wait list for this community pool right outside of the city. And I know that it's really funny when you think about it, like all these people that come and live in the city, but then they like escape for respite to this pool outside of the city. But for years, that's what we've done. From the summer, we spend night after night and um, we'll, we'll meet up and take our dinners. And in the beginning, it was us standing along the edge of, of the pools and, and watching our kids swim. And, and we all vowed that we would teach them to swim as quickly as possible so that we could retreat to the haven that we have now which is where we gather our launchers and the kids run. And instead of doling out snacks, we tell them, use your own money, like up at the snack bar. And we share the things we're going through in our marriages. 
and we share the hurts or worries that we have with our kids. We get to invest into the lives of the other. In fact, it, it does take a little work because, you know, to coordinate that many families and connections, it takes some work we, with, um, you know, we actually have one very organized friend who puts together a spreadsheet of who's on vacation, which weeks, and which kids are off to camp so that we know when they show up, if your friend's not there, then one kid's sad. Um, and there's a whole text stream that happens at the beginning of the week and said, okay, I'm going to be there Tuesday, Thursday this week. What days are you going to be there? So there's this, you know, work, <laughs> intentionality that goes into it. And when the summer sets and we're not quite ready to, to done, be done being together, we actually shift. And now our crew calls, my kids refer to this as the picnic group because we picnic once a week. We try to avoid our schedules from sports and all these other things so that we can be together make that circle of chairs all together where we wrestle through all of the you know, different things that we're, we're walking through. It began here in this church. And now we're at this unique season, I don't know if I'll be able to talk about it, <laughs> where we're about to launch the first series of them. There's a good handful of us that all of our first kids will, will, will launch out this year. And um, to look back at what the Lord has been able to do and, and that rootedness and what it's been able to come over, over time. And I feel like the incredible thing is what we've given our kids is not just a trust and a connection. You know, one point I looked out and realized they go to, I think, eight different schools, each of them. They are each other's safe place of faith in, in a city that's very, very lonely to young people of faith. But we've been able to give them not only the safe base we have for each other, but they're the same for one another. Author Donald Clifton says, relationships help us to define who we are and what we can become. And most of us can trace our successes to pivotal relationships. Pastor Andy Stanley says it like this, your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. And I shared with you in detail that story just because I, I wanted to show that it takes some intentionality. And it's not always easy in those seasons, right? Or there was times that maybe the kids had different friend groups or, or whichever, but there is something about um, making time and space, saying no to other things and kind of walking a distance with individuals. And so um, I wanna come back just for a minute to, to my plants. This plant actually right here is a jade plant. And this was a gift from my mom. My mom is the plant whisperer. Um, she comes by it naturally. Actually, my entire family is quite um, gifted at, at, I don't know, you, I guess you could say they were green-thumbed in some way. And it, Joel's you know, grandfather and uncles and all of that were our farmers. They, they steward the land and they feed people from that. And then my family, my own grandparents, um, they, they were known for, entering. I mean, they were so good. They entered, I think we have a photo of, of my grandmother's zucchinis when she, when, and she would enter into local fairs. I know, that, that's my cute, adorable mom. And um, my grandmother's was just known for the things that they could, could grow. My uncle now actually is a master gardener. And in case you don't know what a master gardener is, it's not just someone who's like really good at gardening. <laughs> they actually go to school for quite a long time, um, years dedicated to horticultural training, and then they volunteer in their communities. They give lectures and do research and create gardens and do all these projects. So communities all around have these very trained gardeners. Even my younger sister, who many of you know, she is, I actually tease her that she's like a walking um, plant identification app. <laughs> she knows like the full and formal name of every plant. I think she was trained by, by my parents. I don't know where I was doing or why I wasn't tuned into some of these things, but she knows all these things. In fact, you, when Joel and I moved this last year, she gifted me with this chart 
of our home and each plant that we have around it and what time, so we could know what time of year to expect it to bloom and the work that we might be doing to cultivate it. Joel and I are just praying that we don't ruin it somehow. Um, so the art of flourishing is a part of my legacy as a family, from my family. Sadly, all that I really have to show for it is these few propagated <laughs> plants. But what I like to say is that I'm committed to the flourishing of people. And so are the pastors on our staff. And that's what this is about. But it's going to require that we do a little bit of inventory. So I just recently had my well visit, my annual well visit. And, you know, they do kind of the once over. And it just gives you the ideas of maybe those dials that might need to be turned and where we need to pay a little bit of more attention. And so I believe that that's what the Lord wants to do for us as well. Because scripture says that he wants us to live an abundant life. John 10, 10 says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Actually, another translation says, have it till it overflows. And I always want to say that word overflows has stuck out a lot to me in preparation for this. And um, I love it because our our daughter, Ella, when she was quite young, that one of the first passages she memorized was Psalm 23, but she would say, overfloat. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overfloats. So I think of that word every time. We'll have life to the full till it overflows. We're asking you to take inventory and to consider these weeks to be your personal well visits. And so for your relational checkup today, I have a few questions for you. And if you follow along on the NCC app, they are there because I'm going to encourage you that maybe you would take a time this week, a, a journaling exercise, or you would spend some time with the Lord and you would actually consider some of these questions. One is, is how is your marriage? Is it business transactional? Is it connected? Are there patterns of health? How are your relationships with your kids? Might they be young or maybe they're grown? What about your relationships in your workplace? Are you trusted? What about your extended family? Are you divided? Are you healed? Are there unspoken pain points? What about your friendships? What level of depth and trust and joy is there? Is there maybe some greater intentionality? Do you need a friend with a spreadsheet? I don't know. What relationships do you have that are bringing life, that are refining you? And which relationships are you pouring into? These are important questions because the loneliness stats showed that our corporate results are not that great. And we believe that that can look different in this house. That can look different than for us as people of, of faith, people that are connected to the source. A 2021 poll said that four in 10 Americans report they don't have a best friend at all. And that in, we know from studies that an increase in isolation has been labeled a public health threat. And people are now reporting spending twice as much time of their free time alone as two decades ago. And we know that technology is, is a component of this, right? It's at least one contributor because people are more digitally connected than ever, but they're more disconnected from true intimacy than ever before. In his book, Flickering Pixels, author Shane Hips, he, he addresses the progression of culture into the technological present age, and he says, the internet has a natural bias towards exhibitionism and thus an erosion of real intimacy. There's a kind of illusion of intimacy with people that we've never met in person. Mm -hmm. 
an illusion of closeness with someone while remaining totally anonymous with little risk or demand, the anonymous intimacy provides just enough connection to keep us from pursuing real intimacy. He said it's a bit like cotton candy. It goes down easy, but it does not provide much in the way of sustainable nutrition. And not only that, but then our appetite is spoiled. So in addition to this increased disconnection from technology, we just know that the way the globalization of the world and the way we move and live has changed quite a bit, right? And, and this means a greater disconnect from the communities closest to us. Throughout most of history, community was embedded in, into the fabric of life. And generations of families lived in the same small town or they depended on each other for, for economic and physical survival. And now a greater number of us live further from relatives and friendships from either our childhood or even from college. And I, I do want to acknowledge that I actually think this could be an opportunity for us because, because in this area, so many people are away from their home connections or rootedness. That, um, that sense of, of stability and rootedness we can actually offer each other. Um, when I was wrestling with, you know, which passage do I lean out of to when you're talking about relationships? I mean, there's like so much in the word that speaks to relationships and our, and our connection with our neighbor or our brother. And it's, you know, it's really kind of everywhere, but, but then it's, it's woven throughout too. And if you take a step back, you start to realize there's, there's things in scripture that are part of the fabric over which even the words are written, right? The, the geographical implications of where it was written and the, the historical and cultural pieces. And, and that is true for, for relationship. And an embedded community was certainly the norm when Jesus walked the earth. The family was the core unit of biblical society. And extended family networks were both insisted on and essential for survival and stability. And so every person's duty was to maintain and strengthen those. And the, the tradition also honored the benefits of friendship also. Friendship meant more than a social connection. It was an offering of protection, of loyalty, of support, of moral guidance. So a sense of peoplehood has long, long been a defining characteristic, defining characteristic of the Jewish culture and therefore our faith heritage. While we might consider um, community as a marginal option of faith, in the biblical culture, community was taught and lived as a critical imperative of faith. It was assumed. And listen, I understand, especially in adulthood, like finding friendships and connections can be quite hard. And, you know, with, when you're young, it's built into some natural systems like sports or school or, or things happen. And then when you get old, it's like you actually have to to find it and cultivate it. And sometimes we weren't always taught exactly how to do it. And then and then you add a lot of other factors that just become hard besides the pressing pressures of our jobs and all these other pieces. It's, you know, finding the fit with, especially if you're married, you know, if you find a connection and then for them to also feel connected to the spouse. And then when you have kids, it like feels at some point like it's become like multivariable calculus where you're like, well, this kid has a friend, but then they won't have a friend. And then how do we hang out and how do we make that, that work? And so with those barriers in place, it, it makes sense why people sometimes feel hesitant to step in to that space. But for us to, to live in the framework of community that the Bible assumes, and for us to teach our kids how to seek that and prioritize that as well, um, you know, we, we have to take a different approach. And so I'm asking you to consider what the relational fruit looks like in your life. So I talked with you about my parents and their green thumb, but they're actually um, amazing with, they have all these incredible fruit trees 
in their yard. And every year they just burst with like yellow lemons and big bright oranges. And, and in fact, my dad at some point was known for his apricots. Yes, they, they don't look quite as pretty on the tree, but they were coveted. There was like, we were all would fight for who would get, get the apricots, especially the canned apricots after the fact. And so um, the fruit was really, really evident. And in fact, my mom, even now, she gets knocks on the door from people passing by, neighbors that would say, um, I just saw some of your oranges in the yard. Would you mind if I had a few? And I was so struck that I'm like, my parents' fruit, the fruit that they're cultivating, is a blessing to the community. So the fruit that my parents are cultivating then becomes a blessing to the community. And the scriptures have a lot to say about the fruit of our lives and how it is evidence that we are grafted into a different vine. Jesus, or John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is the truth. And maybe you're at a place where you're like, I, I have that picnic crew. I, I feel relational. God's been, been good to me too. I feel rich in that area. But then I might ask you, um, if your bellies are full of the fruit, but are you sharing? Yeah, it's good. Are you drawing others into it? We hear what the stats are saying about our cities and our communities and what they need. I would actually just tell you, and you might not know this, but did you know in this house over um, the last two years, more than half of this church, sorry, more than half of this church is new over the last two years. And I won't ask for a raise of hands in that place, but but, um, just assume that around you, many people are, are new to this community and looking to be connected, maybe even new to this city. Paul was writing to the, third, the church in Thessaloniki in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He said, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul was instructing the church that their love would overflow to others. So that's for you that, that are maybe in a great place, but some of you might be like, hey, actually, no, I feel like I have some pretty barren trees. <laughs> I have, nothing seems to be able to blossom or, or I, I struggle here or I have a vine that feels sick or I have hurt that I'm navigating or a brokenness that I'm trying to, to overcome. And I, I would say, and we're gonna talk about this a little bit more in just a minute, but I think sometimes we have a little bit of a difficulty loving others well or creating these spaces of relational health because we don't rest in the love from our creator. We do have some work to do and we have some personal pruning that might need to happen and some plant um, surgery. I'm just gonna share for you just one, one thing that I've been learning about a little bit. Some of it has to do with my own study um, as I you know, have, have older ones that are you know, about to go through some life changes. Um, I've been studying about family system theory, particularly Bowen's family system theory. Um, it, it's, a, it's a theory developed by Dr. Murray Bowen 
backed by quite a bit of research, and he was saying that when we tend to think of relationships, we tend to think of them as singular, between like you and me, an individual and another. But actually examining them, they, reality, most of, us, most of us are part of an interconnected system of relationships. And by examining those, we can actually get a greater insight to our dissatisfaction and some of our, our interactions. And this becomes the basis for how we handle stress or make decisions or manage anxieties. He was a, a army physician in World War II and became interested in this after seeing the different effects of trauma on soldiers and the different ways that each of them would be able to manage the st similarly stressful circumstances. And he began to notice that human difficulties went beyond unresolved issues and an individual's personal psyche. They were actually embedded in each person's family or relational system. And that many of the patterns for managing those things and navigating with health has to do with um, very similar to the way other species would deal with threats to their herds or their packs. So I think what we're saying is that, that we can't actually quite unpack some of our individual health or our relational health one-on-one -on -one until we start to examine the interconnectedness of these systems. And the reason that's fascinating for, for me with, with a daughter that's coming close to adulthood is, is the research shows the importance of a differentiation of self, that ability for an individual to come into their own understanding and realization and still stay meaningfully connected to others. Relational maturity, as defined by this research, is defined as the ability to share with and stay relationally connected to others while also standing firmly on the basis of your value. And according to these theories, the tendencies of unhealthy response is to either acquiesce, to meet expectations of others, or to separate or cut off relationally so as to not have to do so. So the question that I'm asking is, is it possible you've separated yourself from a relationship because you either have the pressure to acquiesce or you seem to have constant conflict? And I would just offer to that that the Lord desires for us to stay connected. And there's a lot of space and room for where boundaries are, are appropriate. But I, when we're examining our own individual health, our own individual health, we have to examine the interconnectedness of those spaces. And... and um, sometimes we're not always fair to take a look inward and to say, what is actually my contribution to this? And what are the things that, that I might be bringing into this situation? One of my favorite quotes by executive and pastor Jeff Henderson, um, he, he says this quote, and I'll say it to my kids often, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. Yeah. And how do we examine that? Some of these unhealthy patterns tend to go most undetected in those sometimes that are people pleasers that want to be present. Therapist Matthias Barker said this, and I've just been thinking about it a lot. He said, people pleasing can be just as manipulative as more assertive control. He said, it's more subtle, but it's still self-image concerned. People pleasers don't accommodate and serve people purely out of the benefit of the other person. They're being nice because they don't want to be abandoned. They're still using other people, but it feels a lot softer. Yeah. You can tell this because if they're genuinely ever in need, they're not going to reach out and ask for help because they don't want to seem needy. Because if I'm needy, then I might be rejected. Wow. It's still self-image obsessed. It's the same dysfunction, a different presentation, and they both need healing. I believe the Lord wants to heal us relationally. And that means doing, you can see I'm kind of pushing a little bit more of a deep dive, a dig to what might, what's, what does it, Pastor Mark keeps saying over and over, what's really happening when what's happening is happening.
And you know, we get a chance this year as a community, we're going to get a chance to take a look at our fruit and to see how well we really are connected in this way that we're, that we're able to stay connected with one another even while maybe disagreeing. You know, the season maybe between now and, I don't know, just arbitrarily November 5th. <laughs> we're going to get a, ta- a chance to really wrestle. There are things on the horizon this year that threaten to divide our relationships. And we have pastored in this city long enough to know the tensions that are birthed in passion and conviction are even more prominent in this space. If you've been here long enough, you know that we're, we're really committed to what we call beloved community, which means that we are going to continue to try to draw in to one another. We're gonna try to draw in to staying relationally connected and to listening well. And we believe that friendships and family ships that are generous in spirit across disagreement speak loving truth and they commit to love regardless. Those are friendships that stand the test of time. And those are the ones that I believe really bless the Lord. So I won't list them here, but we do know that the rates of loneliness are, are lower for those um, that, that are married and have, have children. And, and that's because probably we have built-in companionship in our home. And, but I actually, that, those stats kind of bother me. And I wonder if it's because we, particularly as a church, have not painted a picture beyond a traditional family. And it's a little bit odd because... All over scripture, we see it, right? Jesus was connected to the the 12 disciples and he was even closer to Peter, John, James. Of course, he was very close with John the Baptist, devastated at his passing. And the scriptures tell us about his close friendship with Mary, Martha, and and Lazarus. So we see evidence of, of very close and knitted relationship outside of the traditional family. And yet we often paint a picture that a nuclear family is the only picture of family. And listen, marriage is a relationship with the greatest proximity. So there is a lot of of chance for for friction um, there and deep pain. And Joel and I care about that a lot, which is the reason that we we write about it and we lean into it, spend a lot of time on it. But God's desire for flourishing relationships is so much bigger than a family, traditional family structure. In fact, during our Christmas Eve service, I um, bumped into two friends of mine, girls that I love quite a bit and actually, you know, refer to them as, as younger sisters. They're longtime NCCers. The one has, has moved to New York City and they're both brilliant and successful and, um, and have an incredible web of, of friendships. But um, they shared that that night that since they were both still single, they were actually gonna be doing all of their Christmas traditions together. And later that night we were texting and one of them, they FaceTimed me and showed me they were watching, they were wearing matching pajamas drinking hot cocoa, (laughs) doing all the Christmas things together. And then the next morning they went their separate ways because each of them is very embedded and connected into other families in our church who drew them in and made them a part of their Christmas mornings. So I was asking them about it recently. Ashley said this, she said, I was just talking about how this Christmas was the most special one I've ever had. I tell others the story that at the age of 35, this is not really what I imagined my family to look like, but how grateful I am to be able to create a family with people that I love. And Jody agreed, we desire our own families, but we've been blessed by the families we've been able to create. This Christmas reminded me of how rich and full my life is in relationship. And it's expanding our view and our idea of what family can look like. 
And then Jody went on to casually mention how she'd be really busy this weekend because she was hosting a Galentine's with five little girls that she was bringing all alongside and doing all of these Valentine's traditions with and, and spending with. She said, I have two brothers who've experienced infertility, so I don't have biological nieces, but God's given me these little girls to love like nieces, and I want to celebrate these special moments with them. And I just want to say God is so honored when we love each other well and when it doesn't always fit into our little box of expectation. And so I was just so touched by those sweet moments that they have created. Um, coming back to this jade that my mom gave me, it was a gift from her, but it actually was a gift that she um, cut from my grandfather's jade. And uh, my grandfather actually passed when I was a senior in high school. I won't say how many years, but we'll just say that it's a lot. <laughs> so, and I guess when you're in the flourishing business, I guess that's your inheritance as you pass down <laughs> like plants um, to one another. But when I was thinking about it, I'm like, man, this is really incredible. So what we're saying is that we can believe for a generational flourishing that gets passed down. And that has just been my prayer over this message is that we would actually pursue flourishing that goes beyond health for your own life. But that leads to a flourishing of the community and leads to just generational flourishing. And we can see in 1 Samuel 1, the legendary um, friendship of David and Jonathan. And it's, it's really a whole separate sermon that can be preached on, on, just, um, on just that. And so I won't go into the details, but we do know that in, in 1 Samuel 18, and then again in, in 1 Samuel 20, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So it describes their relationship as a covenantal relationship. And we see later in a chapter is the way that David actually um, honored Jonathan's family generationally. But for context, Samuel had anointed David to be king, right? And so Saul did not like that at all and was out for, for David's life. So Jonathan was Saul's son. And so this passage, if we don't read over it too quickly, the idea of the incredibly close relationship we had, they had for one another is quite powerful because, because Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. And yet his love for David surpassed all of that. And in fact, the Hebrew term for covenant that's used here refers to an enduring faithfulness, an unwavering commitment, and a city that's so focused on positioning and, and, and thinking that that's the way that a generational impact is, is made is through you know, growth in careers or opportunities to see the way that, that God was blessing it through a covenant relationship. And most of you have heard in this house stories of my father-in-law, Bob Schmidt-Gall, who was just an incredible pastor and, and a man of God. So you've heard stories about him. But his best friend was a man named Beda Mengistu. In fact, they were committed to each other in what they called a covenant friendship, a covenant brotherhood. They met early when Beda was in uh, Bible school was at Wheaton College and um, dad had heard about these incredible stories of faith that, that Beto was telling and so invited him to speak. And from there, their hearts were just connected, just like it said, um, you know, in this passage with, with Jonathan, that he began to love him as himself. They were so very, very close. In fact, so deep of a connection that my husband grew up calling his boys, his, his cousins, that they were, they were told that they were like family so I asked my mother-in-law how she remembered it. She said, well, dad felt like God brought them together and everyone could see the deep respect and trust that they had in one another. When Betta would talk to him about something, the church or the ministry, he would hear it in a different way. 
Since then, over the years, I've heard Uncle Betta a number of times tell the story about losing dad and the family talk about what stands out some of the most of those days was hearing him wail as he came in to the memorial service. And over time for him to share the deep pain of losing a best friend. But my brother-in-law Rob was sharing with me that they didn't actually know about the full depth of a covenant relationship when they were young, when dad was alive. But Rob said, we saw it at a different level when dad was gone. Betta didn't have to adhere to the covenant, but he took it to another level and he started speaking it over us. He would say, you don't have a choice. I'm the one who is covenant bound to you. And the first time I met Uncle Betta, when Joel and I were dating, (laughs) he informed me of this covenant relationship. And that if Joel and I married, well, first he said that I would then be part Ethiopian. (laughs) So, (laughs) but he said that our families were bound in love. A generational flourishing. And that blessing didn't end there. As you guys know, decades later, we still do ministry alongside of Betta's sons, Zeb and Aman and AZ. And then even now, the next generation, when our daughter hit her discipleship year, Joel was able to travel with Aman and each of, and and Aman's teens. They were able to go to Ethiopia and join Zev and AZ and continue to tie our hearts together and shared ministry and shared um, just love of the Lord. And I mentioned this for two reasons. As one, I believe that there is a deep blessing in the depth of relationship that if we might be open to what the Lord is doing, that he might be working a generational plan beyond this moment and that we might even be willing to take some steps to initiate that. My mother-in-law said this, she said, don't look for someone else to be the initiator, you be the covenant keeper. In a culture that's motivated by pursuit of opportunity, what if we made decisions out of pursuit of friendship? And of course, I think that's also a beautiful story because statistics tell us that men typically have a more difficult time with pursuing meaningful relationship and report higher rates of loneliness. In fact, a recent Barna study said only 30% of Christian men are satisfied with their friendships. And I think it's a beautiful story of how it could look differently. If you are interested in stepping faith into relationship in a new way, I mean, it, it wasn't planned this way, I promise, but we really are at the beginning of a small group semester. Um, So just if you maybe have thought about it a time or two, um, I just would encourage you to, to, you know, lean into that link and step into community in a new way. But as as we close, I just want us to reflect on kind of back what we said to the end. You know, I mentioned that this, you know, pathos that had all come from individual clippings from another plant, had all come from a similar source. And we know that relational flourishing comes from loving well, and the one pathway to loving well is to being able to receive love ourselves. And so a lot of times I think that's actually where the holdup is maybe happening, is we're having difficulty um, being, you know, finding full health in our relationships because we're having difficulty even receiving the purest love that we have from the Father. John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. I tease Joel all the time about the time that I turned him and said, Joel, you're my best friend. And he turned back and he said, Jesus is my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) But in truth, (laughs) we love well 
he loves well because of his connection to the Lord. I'm curious today, do you know Jesus as a friend? I think a lot of us have been walking in faith for a long time and we're trying to follow what God says we're to do. We're trying to live faithfully in our friendships and our families, but there still feels an emptiness. And so I don't know that we can talk about pursuing relational health if we don't examine, do we have relational health with our first friend? Last week at a house of prayer, I had a friend in town and I've been trying to tell her what God's been doing here. And, and afterwards we were sharing and she said, Nina, I know what it is. She's like, I know it's different that's happening there. She said, your church has a hunger for the Lord. All the other things downstream, the trickling that will come, that river of life, it's all gonna start out of a hunger for the Lord. So we can talk about all these other things and, and you know, I thought about some like tips or, or thoughts of, of, you know, some steps to initiate or to be maybe more intentional in relationship. I do wanna encourage you to circle back with, with maybe that journal exercise and just do a self-assessment. But I think we have to start by just leaning back into the Lord. So we're gonna open the altars. Um, you know, at the end, and maybe you're in a place where you actually, I don't like talk about relational health because I'm actually nurturing some brokenness right now or some hurt or, or there's relational damage that's been done previously. That, that could be true. But I also wonder if you just might need to come meet with the Lord. One prayer that I pray most often over those here at the altar is that the Lord would draw near they would feel his closeness. And so that's the ultimate prayer over this series of flourishing. All these other things are downstream, but that first we would feel the beautiful companionship of the Father. And only then would you be able to see the healthy and full flourishing of relationships. Amen.